part one sections eighty six to one o two of all things are possible by lev shestov translated by s s kotelyansky eighteen eighty eight to nineteen fifty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one section eighty six we have sufficient grounds for taking life mistrustfully it has defrauded us so often of our cherished expectations but we have still stronger reasons for mistrusting reason since if life deceived us it was only because feudal reason let herself be deceived perhaps reason herself invented the deception and then to serve her own ambitious ends threw the blame on life so that life shall appear sick-headed but if we have to choose between life and reason we choose life and then we no longer need try to foresee and to explain we can wait and accept all that is unalterable as part of the game and thus nietzsche having realized that all his hopes had gradually crumbled and that he could never get back to his former strength but must grow worse and worse every day wrote in a private letter of may twenty eighth eighteen eighty three ich will es so schwer haben wie nur irgend ein mensch es hat erst unter diesem drucke gewinnen ich das gute gewissen dafür etwas zu besitzen das wenige menschen haben und gehabt haben flügel um ihm gleichnisse zu reden in these few simple words lies the key to the philosophy of nietzsche eighty seven so long as apollo calls him not to the sacred offering of all the trifling children of men the most trifling perhaps is the poet put pushkin's expression into plain language and you will get a page on neuropathology all neurasthenic individuals sink from a state of extreme excitation to one of complete prostration poets too and they are proud of it eighty eight shy people usually receive their impressions post-dated during those moments when an event is taking place before their eyes they can see nothing only later on having evoked from their memory a fragment of what happened they make for themselves an impression of the whole scene and then retrospectively arise in their soul feelings of pity offence surprise so vivid as if they were the flames of the instant moment not rekindlings from the past thus shy people always think a great deal and are always too late for their work it is never too late for thought timid before others they reach great heights of daring when alone they are bad speakers but often excellent writers their life is insignificant and tedious they are not noticed until they become famous and by the time fame comes they do not need popular attention any more eighty nine if chekhov's laevsky in the duel had been a writer with a literary talent people would have said of him that he was original and that he was engaged in the study of the mysticism of sex like gabriella d'annunzio for example whereas as he stands he is only banal his idleness is a reproach to him people would prefer that at least he should copy out extracts from documents ninety from observations on children egoism in a man strikes us unpleasantly because it betrays our poverty 
i cannot dole out my abundance to my neighbours for if i do i myself shall be left with little we should like to be able to scatter riches with a royal hand and therefore when we see someone else clutching his rags with the phrase property is sacred we are hurt what is sacred comes from the gods and the gods have plenty of everything they do not count and skimp like mortals ninety one we see a man repent for his actions and conclude that such actions should be avoided an instance of false but apparently irreproachable reasoning time passes and we see the same man repenting again of the self-same acts if we love logic this will confirm us in our first conclusion but if we do not care for logic we shall say man is under an equal necessity to commit these acts and to repent of them sometimes however the first conclusion is corrected differently having decided that repentance proves that a certain course of action should be avoided man avoids it all his life only to realize in the end suddenly with extraordinary clarity how bitter is his regret that he has not trodden the forbidden course but by this time a new conclusion is already useless life is over and the newly enlightened mind no longer knows how to rid itself of the superfluous light ninety two a version of one of the scenes of tolstoy's power of darkness reminds us exactly of a one-act piece of maeterlinck there can be no question of imitation when the power of darkness was written nobody had heard of maeterlinck tolstoy evidently wanted to try a new method of creating and to get rid of his own manner which he had evolved through tens of years of dogged labor but the risk was too great he preferred to cure himself of his doubts by the common expedient manual toil and an outdoor life so he took up the plough ninety three every woodcock praises its own fen lermontov saw the sign of spiritual pre-eminence in dazzling white linen and therefore his heroes always dressed with taste dostoevsky on the other hand despised show dmitri karamazov wears dirty linen and this is assigned to him as a merit or almost a merit ninety four while he was yet young when he wrote his story enough turgenev saw that something terrible hung over his life he saw but did not get frightened although he understood that in time he ought to become frightened because life without a continual inner disturbance would have no meaning for him ninety five napoleon is reputed to have had a profound insight into the human soul shakespeare also and their vision has nothing in common ninety six what we call imagination which we value so highly in great poets is essentially unbridled loose or if you will even perverted mentality in ordinary mortals we call it vice but to the poets everything is forgiven on account of the benefit and pleasure we derive from their works in spite of our high-flown theories we have always been extremely practical great utilitarians two and a half thousand years went by before tolstoy got up and in his turn offered the poets their choice either to be virtuous or to stop creating and forfeit the fame of teachers if tolstoy did not make a laughing-stock of himself he has to thank his grey hairs and the respect which was felt for his past anyhow nobody took him seriously far from it 
for never yet did poets feel so free from the shackles of morality as they do now if schiller were writing his dramas and philosophic essays today he would scarcely find a reader in tolstoy himself it is not so much his virtues as his vices which we find interesting we begin to understand his works not so much in the light of his striving after ideals but from the standpoint of that incongruity which existed between the ideas he artificially imposed upon himself and the demands of his own non-virtuous soul which struggled ever for liberty nikolenka irtenyev in childhood and youth would sit for hours on the terrace turning over in his mind his elder brother Volodya's love-making with the chambermaids but although he desired it more than anything on earth he could never bring himself to be like Volodya. the maid said to the elder brother why doesn't nikolai petrovitch ever come here and have a lark she did not know that nikolai petrovitch was sitting at that moment under the stairs ready to give anything on earth to take the place of the scamp Volodya everything on earth is twice repeated tolstoy gives a psychological explanation of his little hero's conduct i was timid by nature nikolenka tells us but my shyness was increased by the conviction of my ugliness ugliness the consciousness of one's ugliness leads to shyness what good can there be in virtue which has such a suspicious origin and how can the morality of tolstoy's heroes be trusted consciousness of one's ugliness begets shyness shyness drives the passions inwards and allows them no natural outlet little by little there develops a monstrous discrepancy between the imagination and its desires on the one hand and the power to satisfy these desires on the other permanent hunger and a contracted alimentary canal which does not pass the food through hence the hatred of the imagination with its unrealized and unrealizable cravings in our day no one has scourged love so cruelly as tolstoy in power of darkness but the feats of the village don juan need not necessarily end in tragedy more than anything on earth however tolstoy hates the don juans the handsome brave successful the self-confident who spontaneously act upon suggestion the conquerors of women who stretch out their hands to living statues cold as stone as far as ever he can he has his revenge on them in his writing ninety seven in the drama of the future the whole presentation will be different first of all the difficulties of the denouement will be set aside the new hero has a past reminiscent but no present neither wife nor sweetheart nor friends nor occupation he is alone he communes only with himself or with imaginary listeners he lives a life apart so that the stage will represent either a desert island or a room in a large densely populated city where among millions of inhabitants one can live alone as on a desert island the hero must not return to people and to social ideals he must go forward to loneliness to absolute loneliness even now nobody looking at gogol's plushkin will feel any more the slightest response to the pathetic appeal for men to preserve the ideals of youth on into old age modern youths go to see plushkin not for the sake of laughing at him or of benefiting from the warning which his terrible miserly figure offers them but in order to see if there may not be some few little pearls there where they could be least expected 
in the midst of his heap of dirt lycurgus succeeded in fixing the spartans like cement for some centuries but after that came the thaw and all their hardness melted the last remains of the petrified doric art are now removed to museums is something happening ninety eight if i sow not in the spring in autumn i shall eat no bread every day brings troubles and worries enough for poor weak man he had to forget his work for a moment and now he is lost he will die of hunger or cold in order merely to preserve our existence we have to strain mind and body to the utmost nay more we have to think of the surrounding world exclusively with a view to gaining a livelihood from it there is no time to think about truth this is why positivism was invented with its theory of natural development really everything we see is mysterious and incomprehensible a tiny midge and a huge elephant a caressing breeze and a blizzard a young tree and a rocky mountain what are all these what are they why are they we incessantly ask ourselves but we may not speak out for philosophy is ever pushed aside to make room for the daily needs only those who think who are unable to trouble about self-preservation or who will not trouble or who are too careless that is sick desperate or lazy people these return to the riddle which workaday men confirmed in the certainty that they are right have construed into naturalness ninety nine kant and after him schopenhauer was exceedingly fond of the epithet disinterested and used it on every occasion when the supply of laudatory terms he had at his disposal was exhausted disinterested thinking which does not pursue any practical aim is according to schopenhauer the highest ideal towards which man can strive this truth he considered universal and a priori but had he chanced to be brought amongst russian peasants he would have had to change his opinion with them thoughts about destiny and the why and wherefore of the universe and infinity and so on would by no means be considered disinterested particularly if the man who devoted himself to such thoughts were at the same time to announce as becomes a philosopher that he claimed complete freedom from physical labour there the philosopher were he even plato would be stigmatized with the disgraceful nickname idle jack there the highest activity is interested activity directed towards strictly practical purposes and if the peasants could speak learnedly they would certainly call the principle upon which their judgment is founded an a priori tolstoy who draws his wisdom from the folk sources attacks the learned for the very fact that they do not want to work but are disinterestedly occupied in the search for truth one hundred it is clear to any impartial observer that practically every man changes his opinion ten times a day much has been said on this subject it has served for innumerable satires and humorous sketches nobody has ever doubted that it was a vice to be unstable in one's opinions three-fourths of our education goes to teaching us most carefully to conceal within ourselves the changeableness of our moods and judgments a man who cannot keep his word is the last of men never to be trusted likewise a man with no firm convictions it is impossible to work together with him morality here as always making towards utilitarian ends issues the eternal principle 
thou shalt remain true to thy convictions in cultured circles this commandment is considered so unimpeachable that men are terrified even to appear inconstant in their own eyes they become petrified in their beliefs and no greater shame can happen to them than that they should be forced to admit that they have altered in their convictions when a straightforward man like montaigne plainly speaks of the inconstancy of his mind and his views he is regarded as a libeller of himself one need neither see nor hear nor understand what is taking place around one once your mind is made up you have lost your right to grow you must remain a stock a statue the qualities and defects of which are known to everybody 101 every philosophic world conception starts from some or other solution of the general problem of human existence and proceeds from this to direct the course of human life in some particular direction or other we have neither the power nor the data for the solution of general problems and consequently all our moral deductions are arbitrary the only witness to our prejudices if we are naturally timid or to our propensities and tastes if we are self-confident but to keep up prejudices is a miserable unworthy business nobody will dispute that therefore let us cease to grieve about our differences in opinion let us wish that in the future there should be many more differences and much less unanimity there is no arbitrary truth it remains to suppose that truth lies in changeable human tastes and desires in so far as our common social existence demands it let us try to come to an understanding to agree but not one jot more any agreement which does not arise out of common necessity will be a crime against the holy spirit 102 chekhov was very good at expounding a system of philosophy even several systems we have examples in more than one of his stories particularly in the duel where von koren speaks ex cathedra but chekhov had no use for such systems save for purely literary purposes when you write a story and your hero must speak clearly and consistently a system has its value but when you are left to yourself can you seriously trouble your soul about philosophy even a german cannot it seems go so far in his idealism vladimir semyonovitch the young author in chekhov's nice people sincerely and deeply believes in his own ideas but even of him notwithstanding his blatantly comical limitations we cannot say more than that his ideas were constant little views or pictures to him which had gradually become a second natural setting to everything he saw certainly he did not live by ideas chekhov is right when he said that the singing of gaudiamo's igitur and the writing of a humanitarian appeal were equally important to vladimir semyonovitch as soon as vladimir's sister begins to think for herself her brother's highest ideas which she has formerly revered become banal and objectionable to her her brother cannot understand her neither her hostility to progress and humanitarianism nor to the university spree and gaudiamus igatur but chekhov does understand only let us admit the word understand does not carry its ordinary meaning here so long as the child was fed on its mother's milk everything seemed to it smooth and easy but when it had to give up milk and take to vodka and this is the inevitable law of human development 
the childish suckling dreams receded into the realm of the irretrievable past end of part one section one hundred two recording by expatriate in bangor maine